Thank you for joining us for today's message. We believe God is going to do great things in your life. If God has impacted you through this ministry, partner with us in reaching others. Go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Now let me ask you a question today. There is no such thing as a marriage, a life, a career, a church, or a job without problems. I'm sorry, there is no such thing. If all your problems are behind you, you're probably a school bus driver. Yeah. Have you ever felt the world was closing in on you? Have you ever felt or had those feelings that no matter what you did, no matter how much you tried, it just seemed hopeless? Have you ever looked around and watched others seem to get ahead, yet nothing worked out for you? Maybe you try to take care of your health and you get sick. Others do everything the doctors tell them not to do, and they stay healthy. You work and save and try to get ahead, yet the bills pile up. While your neighbor across the street, you know, lives like life's a party, and he never seems to go without. Or you pray, you spend time with your children and your spouse, but things are rough at home. While others, it seems like, neglect their family. Things seem to work out for them. Or you study, you pray, you visit, you prepare a lesson, you try to be the best teacher or church worker you can, and yet, at least for now, you don't see anything happening. You prayed for a family member, a friend, a loved one, and yet, right now, you still don't see anything happening in their life. Sometimes, for all of us, it seems like no matter what you do or try, it seems like the cards are stacked against you. Forget the light at the end of the tunnel. You can't even see the tunnel, right? And let me tell you, right now, there's not a person in this building, unless you're four, there's not a person in here who hasn't experienced those frustrations at one time or another. You just need to know trouble is common to man, the Bible says. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I cried unto the Lord in my distress, and he heard me and delivered me. Okay, it didn't mean you got a free pass, but it meant you came out okay. That's all. So we're going to pursue that chain of thought this morning for a little while. There's not a person alive who hasn't known some pain or discouragement before. But like all problems in life, God is well able to deal with it. Your problem is not too big for God. If he can raise the dead, he, there is nothing you've got a problem with right now God can't help solve. God will give you help and hope for the future when there is no apparent hope in sight. By the way, I was talking to a friend earlier about favor, and several years ago I did a couple of messages on favor. Favor gives you promotion when you seem least likely to get it. Oh, I don't have the grades. Oh, I don't have the qualifications. Oh, I'll never get that. Excuse me? He gives you promotion when you're seemingly likely to get it. Remember little Esther was a, was, was a what do you call it, they, a captive in a foreign land. And she won the beauty contest and became wife to the king. I mean, it, it was and she's Jewish. And it was impossible, but it happened. Favor, favor. Favor uh, makes you a strong, like, a, like a, a strong mountain, it says. Favor, favor just is an amazing thing. It causes laws, ordinance, and contracts to be changed in your favor. Well, I don't know why we're doing this in a legal matter or whatever, but I'm going to do this, 
and I've, I've watched that happen many times. <coughs> Please forgive me today. I have been battling with coughing and spells. Mm. That, that's not a rum and coke, but it'll have to do. <coughs> and when I cough in a microphone, it sounds like God has just coughed all over the whole church. I apologize. Believe me, this has been a frustrating thing for a week. And when I start talking, it makes my throat tickle. You've all had it. And you start coughing. Well, good. Somebody that's not draining, I'll get to get up here and just speak if this keeps up. (laughs) Open your Bibles to Jeremiah 33, verse 1. I'm going to lower my voice. I can't put as much passion in it because if I do, I cough. Jeremiah 33, verse 1 through 9. I remember once I was serving communion to this church years ago, and a cracker got caught in my throat, and I thought I was going to have a fit. And I told everybody, don't worry, I can't die. I'm taking communion. You know, so I'll never feel. So I don't let anybody eat it or take it while they're up here talking. I just said, no, we're going to do that again. Jeremiah 33, verse 1 through 9. Well, we're off to a good start, Ricky, aren't we, this morning? Yeah. While Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. This is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. That word Lord mentioned four times there is the word Yahweh. It's God's name for himself. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know about. For this is what the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in your fight against the Babylonians. They will be filled with dead bodies of the people I will slay in my anger. I will hide my face from this city because of its wickedness. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me, and I will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I will provide for it. Notice with me Jeremiah's hopeless situation. If we go back and read through the pages of the book of Jeremiah, this prophet, you'll find he lived a pretty tough life. For 40 years, he's been chief counselor, confidant of the kings of Judah, and not one of them has listened to a thing he said. Jerusalem is now surrounded by the Babylonian armies. The siege ramps are under construction to get over the walls. The walls in the city of Jerusalem are going to fall. And with Jerusalem, the nation of Judah will fall. It's a pretty despairing, discouraging moment. Israel has been struck a mortal blow by God, and there's no cure for the wind. Apparently, there's nothing left to do but wait for the patient to die, which is the nation of Israel. And where is Jeremiah, the great man of God, this great prophet, while Judah and Israel are about to be overwhelmed? Where's this great prophet who warned the rulers and all the people for generations they better turn back to God before judgment came? Where is the man that has spent his life obediently serving God and warning others like God commanded? Jeremiah? Well, oh, Jerry, he's in prison. 
is a bad time. Verse 1 says he's shut up in the guard's courtyard. Now, the leaders of Jerusalem have gotten tired of hearing this guy preach. They got tired of hearing him warn about God's imminent judgment, so they just put him in jail. Now, the fact that the city is now surrounded, and it seems like Jeremiah's prophecies are coming true, well, that hadn't helped out at all. So now they're even more fierce in their anger and rage against him, so they lock him up. So here's innocent Jeremiah doing everything he knows to do and everything God told him to do, and yet now he's locked up in jail. Sometimes you can be doing the right thing and get a bad result, but God's not finished yet, so don't freak out. These are written so we can be encouraged. The guy hadn't done anything wrong, but everything's going bad. And they thought, well, we'll lock him up. That'll hold him. Now, prison accommodations are limited in Jerusalem because they don't need a lot of space because the Jewish government preferred more permanent means of dealing with criminals. But they're afraid to kill Jeremiah in public because he has a following and it might cause a revolt. So they lock him up where they hope he will starve and die. But I've learned, and I hope you've learned, and they're going to learn, no confinement can deprive God's people of his presence. No locks, no bars can shut out God's visits. It is when things are darkest, I'm telling you, when things are the darkest, when there's no hope, no help in sight, God often does his best work. For example, tell me, when did an angel first visit Daniel? When he was in the lion's den. Yeah, nice, huh? When did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego see the Son of God? When they were in the fiery furnace. Not out of it, in it. When did an angel visit Peter? When he was in prison. Sometimes God allows discouragement. Sometimes he allows disappointment and frustration to cause all of us to turn to him and to be receptive to his visits. It's not always our fault, but sometimes it is, but it doesn't matter. I don't know what you might be going through this morning. I don't know what's sapping your strength or what's got you sleepless at night. I don't know what has you overwhelmed or worried, but whatever it is, God's got a word for you and me this morning, and the same command and promise he made to Jeremiah is the same command and promise he gives to you and I, his people. Verse 3, Jeremiah 33. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. Don't you think you got God figured out? Don't you figure out how limited things are, how unrepairable your situation may be? God says, look, if I can make a 90-year-old woman have a baby, if I can open the Red Sea, if I can make the sun stand still for Jeremiah, if I can back up the sun 10 degrees for Hezekiah, oh, what's your big problem? God is really in your face. He's trying to get you out of your pity party to say, yeah, I know it's bad, but it's not permanent, and I'm going to turn this thing around. Now, notice this amazing promise. This is God's command and promise. He says, call unto me. I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you cannot imagine. Now, think about Jeremiah's situation. He's in the city of Jerusalem, surrounded by the Babylonian army, They've already started building siege ramps to invade the city. Inside the city, people are starving to death. They're cut off from their food and farms outside the walls. The besieged people have already torn down some of the rulers' houses to repair the walls and to make room to bury the bodies that are going to stack up every day. 
So not only is Jeremiah in a town in a horrible situation, he's locked up inside this besieged city. If there's anybody who ought to be without any hope, it's old Jeremiah. If there's anybody who ought to have a thumb-sucking pity party, it's Jeremiah. And he hadn't done anything wrong. And in the midst of all of it, God issues a command. And I hope you'll hear it. Call unto me. He didn't say call everybody in church. It says call unto me. So what did God ask Jeremiah to do when he was at his wit's end? When he didn't know what to do? When everything looked dire and hopeless and helpless? He said call unto me. In other words, pray. Prayer is just talking to God. And you don't have to do it in King James language. If you're 400 years old, okay. But if you're not, just speak your language. He can understand. God told Jeremiah, just like he told you and me, pray. When things seem dark, when there seems to be no hope inside, pray. And he says, pray without ceasing. A good example is toddlers. When they want something, they don't quit. Christians, well, I talked to the Lord about it last week, but I guess he's not going to do it. Oh, you're a real rock of Gibraltar, aren't you? <laughs> I, he doesn't work on your timetable. I don't care how he does it or when he does it, as long as he does it. And my hope is knowing, I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know he will. I've got a record, a track record of history. I know he will. You've got to know that, okay? So he says, pray, call on to me. But with the command comes a promise. By the way, you remember that little widow woman? She had no power. She had no influence. She had nothing. And she comes before this mighty, powerful judge who's a pagan. And the Bible says he's unjust. He's corrupt. He has no tender mercy for anybody. And he won't hear her request. And she keeps coming. And she keeps coming. And she keeps coming. And finally, the guy's pulling out his hair. And he says, I, you know, I'm not afraid of any man. I can kill anybody. I can make a judicial decree. And yet this woman, will her unceasing persistence won't leave me alone. I'm going nuts. And he heard her. And he granted her petition. And the God says, now look, she did that to an unjust judge out of being persistent. And got what she wanted. Your heavenly father is not unjust. And he does love you. How much more should you believe that God's going to hear you and respond to you when you come to him? So he says, call to me, pray. And notice, with the command comes a promise. It's so important that God puts his own name on it four times. In chapter, in chapter 33, verse 1 and 2, he signs his name Yahweh. Just like a name on a contract guaranteeing it'll be performed. In other words, if you make me a promise, I want to know the character and the nature of the person behind the promise. A promise isn't any good if somebody doesn't have any character. So this is no wimpy God making a promise. This is no little hear nothing, do nothing wimpy God. This is Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who made you and me and everything we see God. The Bible calls him El Shaddai, the Almighty God. El Elyon, the Most High God. El Olam, the God of Eternity. El Barith, the God of Covenant. El Roy, the God who sees me. He is Elohim. He is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Mekadesh, the Lord who sanctifies. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. Jehovah Shaboth, the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Rophi, the Lord is my shepherd and healer. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord is my righteousness. 
Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Jehovah Adonai, our Lord, he's called the Ancient of Days, the Rock, Fortress, Shield, the Sun, my Judge, my Shepherd, Abba Father, the Father of Lights, and the God of all glory. That's the God making the promise, call on me and I will answer. He's the great I am, the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. This is the God who created heaven and earth, who formed man out of the dust of the ground, who sent waters to flood the earth, fire and brimstone to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins. That God makes this promise. And then what does he promise? He will answer. He will answer. God promises to answer your prayer. He will hear. He will listen. I think one of the greatest inventions they ever came up with was caller ID. Now, I thought it was good enough when we had answering machines. Remember that? You could screen your call to decide whether or not you wanted to answer it. But now they've got caller ID. And all you got to do is look at your smartphone, and you can see in an instant who's calling so you can decide whether or not you want to answer it. Ah, but my friends, God the Almighty, all-knowing, ever-present God knows everything. He knows when it's you calling. He knows it before you call. And God says, call unto me, and I will answer. I will listen. I promise you, he'll take your call. Even if it's the biggest pile of mess you created, you call on him in distress. You forget this is a God who is ever merciful, ever patient, ever kind, who looks for any opportunity to be gracious and merciful to you. You say, well, it's my fault, and I did call. Call on him. He got a, you know, kids know when a parent has a soft spot, and they know which one to get, so my, my grandkids know daddy's the soft touch, not mama, but daddy, and granddaddy, puppy, he's the soft touch. Oh, you're four, you want an iPhone? Okay, poppy will get it. You want, you want chocolate syrup on your cereal? Okay. So I tell them, welcome to the house of yes, but only if poppy's here. If mama's here, it, it's not going to go real good. So, so God's got a soft spot. It's called mercy. Now, some of you mean-hearted, judgmental, yeah, God, what you deserved, you wretch. God's not like that. God loves to show mercy. He's done it to some bad kings who were the, he told, he told one king, Ahab, he said, you're the worst king I ever had. How'd you like to have that on your resume? God Almighty said, you're the worst I ever had. The worst? The worst. And yet, even this guy who humbled himself, God showed mercy to Ahab. Quite an amazing thing. I don't think God's at all kind of like some of us think. He's a lot more generous and liberal than most people even can imagine. You know, and that's what I love about him, to be honest with you. Now, some of you ultra-conservatives will hate that, but I hope you don't get in trouble because when you need mercy, you won't find much of it. But I tell you, this God is merciful. So he says, you call unto me and I'll listen. But he makes a second promise as well. He'll show you great things, things unimaginable to you. And I believe that'll be kept by three groups of people. First, those who don't know him yet. See, he, uh, those who haven't yet made him their Lord and Savior. Maybe some of you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You haven't yet invited him into your heart. You've never told him, Lord, I'm tired of living my life my own way. I'm tired of being defeated. Please forgive me and come into my heart. You've never told him that. So listen. You'll never understand joy. You'll never understand peace, even in the midst of tribulation, 
until you step out in faith and say, Jesus, I give all I know of me to all I know of you. That's all I can do. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish to him. Neither can he understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the Bible says you will never understand how great it is to be a Christian. You'll never understand how great it is to give Jesus control of your life until you do so. God's kingdom is a paradox. It's weird. That's why the natural mind can't figure it out. God says, oh, you want? Then give, and you shall receive. You, you want to live? Then die to your flesh and yourself. The way up is down. Humble yourself. I will exalt you. You see? I mean, over it's just contrary to everything our natural senses want to do. Just doesn't make sense. But that's God working a supernatural kingdom. So in other words, I can't understand what that's like if I've never given my life to him. I get asked tough questions sometimes, like, how do you know when you're in love? How do you know if you're supposed to marry somebody? Well, I want to be sure they got a job. Okay, that helps. <laughs> tough questions. But how do you explain love to somebody who's never been in love? How do you explain that? How do you describe beauty to somebody who's never seen? How do you describe a child's laughter to somebody who's never heard? How do you describe uh, fullness to somebody who's never had enough to eat? I don't think you can. And until you turn your life over to Jesus, there's no way I can accurately describe to you how great life can be. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus said, He who comes to me, I will never cast out. I like that. Well, I don't know. I think the Lord's finished with me. No, he's not. No, he's not. He said, I will never cast you away. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus will never turn you down if you call on him, and he'll show you how great life can really be. You know, I wish God, this is my natural flesh, I wish we did. I know some of you personally. I wish you didn't have to go through your pain. I wish you didn't have to go through your problem. I really wish it. But I'm telling you, if you don't allow God to make you stronger, you won't be fit for his kingdom. The Bible says endure hardness as a good soldier. What do they do in basic training for a soldier? They kick the snot out of you. They upset you. They deny you. They, they get in your face. They grind you. They, they run you till you think you're going to die. Why? So you can endure hardness in combat, and you won't fold. And how do you think? How do you think as a Christian you develop faith, spiritual confidence, and hope? you got to get in some trouble. You've got to get into some pressure. Some of you have never been to a gym except to watch your kids play. But if you go to a gym and you start picking up some weights, you want to build some muscles, you're going to, it hurts. If you've never done it, it hurts. And then once you get enough reps going to where it's converting fat into steel, into some muscle, you get pretty soon, that doesn't bother you. Well, guess what? The trainer will then up the weights and it hurts again. But you're getting stronger. And you're getting stronger, and you're getting stronger. So God's not going to throw everything at you at first, but you've got to go through some struggles to build some muscles. How do you think a butterfly becomes a butterfly? That sucker has to come out of a cocoon. And if you try to help him by opening the cocoon prematurely so that the little precious thing doesn't have to suffer, the, the struggle is what puts fluid in the wings that allow the butterfly to fly. Then you've got this pretty little creature that can't fly. And I think we have thousands of Christians who can't fly. They can't soar like eagles. They, they don't want any trouble. They don't want any tribulation. It must be bad. No, it's good. The Bible says, 
Rejoice in tribulation. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, either there's something good there or the guy's on dope. I don't know, but count it all joy. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, Jeremiah was a faithful man. So God promises to do some extraordinary things to those who don't know him yet. And then secondly, to those who are believers, but they're discouraged by circumstances. In spite of Jeremiah's faith and obedience, he still had trouble. He still had to go through hard times. And I know it's really hard. They're the nicest people we know. They are so faithful. They serve. They tithe. They are just, they take people in. I don't know how. this. Why didn't that happen to Dennis Rodman? Not them. <laughs> this is a broken world. And everybody gets in trouble. Everybody. It's a broken, dark world. But I have one advantage that an unsaved man doesn't have in trouble. God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you in that problem. That is important for you to know. God never said there wouldn't be trouble if you became a Christian. What he did promise is that even when you go through a hard time, he will use them for your good and his glory. Right? Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good. He didn't say all things were good. They're not. Cancer is not good. Betrayal is not good. Divorce is not good. Bankruptcy, foreclosure is not good. He said he will work all things together for good to them that love God and who are called according to his purpose. So I don't know how he's going to do it for you. I don't know when that day will come. But my hope is that he said he's going to work it for my good. I hate this foul thing. This is terribly unfair. I can't believe this is happening to me. So how do I comfort myself to get hope? He said, I will work it for your good and my glory. That's how it's going to end. So hang on for the ride, right? Just hang on for the ride. Now, if he promises to work it for you, your good and his glory, you ought to relax a little bit. I, don't, I can't control what happens to me. I don't know why uh, good people suffer and sometimes the wicked don't. I don't know. I mean, by the way, when you die, it ain't over. You understand that. God's going to make everything right and restore and fix everything one day. And everybody that escaped judgment, uh, Nazis and uh, people who committed crimes against humanity but somehow escaped and then died on the run, they'll face judgment. You and I won't if you're a believer, but he will. He doesn't escape. Everything's going to be made right. So I have a pretty optimistic outlook on my future. So if you're in the middle of a struggle right now, if you're discouraged and frustrated, God promises relief. He says, look, call on me. Warren Worsby, Dr. Warren Worsby was president of Moody Bible Institute and a preacher. And I remember I was a young man and I remember being in a Bible conference and he was telling the preachers, you got two choices, boys. You can pray or faint. Jesus said men ought always to pray, not to quit. So you got two choices, pray about it or just quit. Suck your thumb and go into a fetal position and then just moan and blow tissue all over everybody forever. So me, I'm just going to keep praying. Well, I've been praying a long time. Well, keep praying. How'd you like to be 90 waiting on a baby? Or 100, right? I mean, who could have foreseen that? Who could have foreseen unclean birds feeding God's prophet? God can use unsaved people to love you, care for you, finance you, help you. God will use everything's accessible to him. He turns the heart of a king any way he wants. So quit thinking in just natural terms. With this supernatural God, he can do 
override anything. If a door shuts, he can open another door. He can make a way when there seems to be no way. He can change the opinion. He can change the law. Call on me, he says. Let me show you some mighty things that are going to come to pass and how I'm working in your life. So God's speaking to those who don't know him yet. He's speaking to those discouraged by circumstances. And then he makes this promise to those who are believers and serving him now. And I think one of the easiest ways to get discouraged is serving God and trying to care for people. Oh, Lordy, you love people. You care about them. You do all you know to help them. You pray for them. You tell them how Christ can make a difference in their life. And they just keep committing suicide over and over and over again. And you do everything you know and nothing seems to be happening. And you start wondering, oh, gee, is it worth it at all? Everybody's felt that way if you're active in in any kind of ministry. And they keep repeating the same mistakes and nothing seems to make any difference that you do. You visit and pray. You do all you know to help folks. And yet sometimes you feel like I'm just wasting my time. So God says to those of you who faithfully serve me but are discouraged at the moment, he says, call unto me. I will answer you. I will show you great and mighty things you know not. I want to close with a little article Sandy Ross sent me last week. I thought it was very apropos. Keep your head up. Every battle has an expiration date. Every storm eventually stops. Every journey has the other side. It doesn't end like this. Your future is bright. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to do you good and not evil, to give you a hope and a future. Be still and know that God loves you and is working all things together for your good. The hard season precedes the higher season. There's a desert before the promise. There's a drought before the rain. There's a cross before the empty tomb. In other words, you can't measure, you can measure the size of your upcoming blessing by the magnitude of your current tribulation. The bigger the battle right now, oh, the bigger the blessing is coming. So let me remind you, you're not defined by the hell you're going through. You're defined by the heaven you're going to. The hard place does not define you. It merely reveals who you really are. And it's when you're under pressure you find out what you are. You know, what you, what's in you comes out under pressure. A crisis doesn't make a hero or a coward. It only reveals what they are. It comes out in a crisis. And sometimes God allows that crisis to show you and me what's inside. And sometimes it's ugly. And God says, now fix that. I allowed this so you can fix that, and I'm going to restore. It's not the end. I'm not punishing you. But if you don't fix this, it's going to lead to bigger problems later on in life. So the hard place will not define you. It just reveals who you really are. Psalm 65, verse 11. You, O God, crown the year, finish the year, ending in bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. Even this hard place you're in right now will ultimately end with abundant harvest. It ain't over, folks. And I suggest we do what he told us to do this morning. Call on him. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. And may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.